da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Hey, what up, man, fam? It's Brian. Uh, I am I'm hosting a podcast for like the second or third time ever. So, good luck with that for the rest of this show. I am here because I am scared of clowns, and it especially terrifies the ever-loving fear out of me. I don't. I just don't think I, I can handle it. So, uh, I've, been, I've been wanting to do a an anniversary podcast on the movie we're going to talk about today. And uh, so this seemed like the perfect opportunity. And I'm joined here today to talk Princess Bride by my friend and colleague, Ariel Rada of Geek 101 Podcast. What's up, Ariel? What's up, Brian? What's up, guys? Glad to be back. Yeah. So uh, some time ago, I don't, I don't remember where, some time ago, uh, you, you messaged or texted or something and just, just kind of out of the blue and said, if you guys ever do a Princess Bride episode, and I'm not invited, I'm going to be furious. And so I was like, okay, I got you. I, I hear you, man. Uh, so I, I'm a big Princess Bride fan as well. And uh, so this seemed like a, anyway, this seemed like a good time to to, to knock this one out uh, since I'm avoiding the main discussion that uh, that happened earlier this week. I hope that that, I'll listen to, uh, I'll listen to that episode at some point. Um, but so hopefully Hopefully you, you've already gotten your your official your regular Mad About Movies um, hunger filled this week, and this is going to be a fun throwback. and uh, And hopefully uh, you didn't miss me too much on on the old it. Um, I'm going to start off real fast with a couple of shout outs, and then we're just gonna we're gonna shoot the bull for a second, and then we'll we'll get straight into uh, into the movie. So uh, all the shout outs for for today are from our, our VIP club. If you don't know what that is, you can go to our website, madaboutmoviespodcast.com, and hit the Patreon tab at the top. Uh, it'll take you to that page, and you can you can pledge the donation of your choosing to uh, to help us out, to help grow the show, to help us be able to to fund all the terrible movies that we have to watch for you guys. Uh, and in addition to that, you'll get some lovely rewards like handwritten notes by yours truly, and stickers, and access to three or more throwbacks a month that are only exclusively on that Patreon feed. So check that out if you haven't already. Um, but here's some, here's your shout outs as we, as we try to get through the, the thousands and thousands of people that have pledged their support over the last uh, two months. So shout out tonight to AJ Bruner, to Jacob Davis, to Garrett Elliott. We have two listeners who are both named Garrett, Garrett Elliott. And so I think I've shouted out the other one, but tonight it's your turn, second Garrett Elliott. Uh, Peter Hanna, Nathan Ivey, Ben Jones, Ashley McLean, Ben Pollock, Blake Reed, uh, Adrian Sims, who is probably the nicest human being I've ever come in contact with in my entire life. Uh, I think, Adrian, I know you're listening because you always listen. You should probably be like some sort of uh, life coach or something. You're just such an encouraging presence. I, uh, so, He's the best, and you should follow Adrian on Twitter if you get the chance. Thaddeus Towell, Joseph Westfall, Megan DiVietto, and Cecilia Yu. Um, there's a few shout-outs, and we'll do more as we go. We're slowly making our way through all of those names. We thank you guys so much for uh, contributing and being a part of this little family here and this little community. And we, we seriously 
means the world to us. So thanks so much. And if, again, if you want to be a part of that, uh, check out the website and, and head over to Patreon and, and do that. Um, so Adrian, I have no idea what, uh, we're a little inside baseball. I'm literally recording this at the exact same time as, uh, as Kent and Richard talking to our friend Joel about it. Um, which is, which is weird. We've never done this before. We're like spreading out or spreading our wings a little bit. Um, I, I can't, I can't see, yeah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I really, I wanted to, here, here's the deal. So they announced this movie and I said, nope, no chance. I'll never see that. Um, and then the trailer came out and the, it was a, that's the, it was a really weird experience because that is an incredible trailer. Um, yeah. And yep. so I was very torn on this looks fantastic. Uh, and, but also I, I don't, I can't do it. Like I, I don't, I cannot watch, uh, cannot watch the movie. I kind of like beer muscled myself a little bit, like between trailer one and trailer two. Like I, I had kind of talked myself into like, I can do this. It's a stupid movie. It's really not that big of a deal. Um, and then the second trailer came out and then like the, the full on marketing push where it just feels like that stinking clown is in every walk of my everyday life. And I, I just can't, I, I like watching the second trailer, uh, nearly, nearly gave me nightmares just just the trailer alone so i i just don't think i i don't think i can do it i might my hope is because people have described it to me as like stranger things meets uh, a horror like a real horror movie and that sounds awesome and so i may try to watch it when it comes out on you know dvd or blu-ray or laser disc or something like that <laughs> right. but but only if it can be in like a a, a very well lit in the safety of your house of with your life. yeah exactly <laughs> where I can stare at my phone as soon as things get too dicey for me. Um, so I I'm scared to death. I really truly I was I think it came out in 1990. I want to say. Um, regardless, I was like somewhere between eight and nine when it came out the the miniseries and. Uh, that was like the perfect time to scare the living daylights out of me for the rest of my life. And truly, I think probably like actually scar me, scar me for life. That Pennywise is, is just so creepy. And you watch, if you watch it now, um, that original miniseries, it's, I don't even know if it's very good, but it's certainly not really that scary. It's just that it came out when I was seven. Right. And clowns were kind of freaky to begin with. And then Tim, Tim Curry is scary without makeup. Oh, yeah yeah exactly exactly and, and then he turns it you know spoiler alert he turns into a spider like the, the second creepiest <laughs> thing in the world is a giant spider so uh that's you know it's not great i just was i i remember being deeply affected by just the cover of that book and the you know the commercials for it and stuff let alone actually uh seeing it so i wanted to throw it to you for just a minute here before we go princess bride um i guess more than anything just general thoughts on because we're, we're you know ramping up to this time of year, it seems like a new horror movie comes out every week, uh, if not two or three of them every week. And so I, I guess I want to get your general thoughts just on the horror genre as a whole. And if there's a movie or, or quickly a couple of movies that uh, that have <laughs> have deeply messed up your entire life the way it apparently has for me. <laughs> well, I mean, historically, I, I was um, exposed to horror films at a very young age, maybe five or six. Uh, thanks, Mom. Um, so I, like, I was traumatized for a little bit, but as I got older, I kind of got over it and, uh, it it takes something kind of almost revolutionary for me to really enjoy a horror movie. Um, because everything's been done, right? Like you look at something Mm -hmm. like, like the conjuring, a very well-made 
horror film, but still a, a largely paint by numbers horror film. Um, I watched like The Witch, which came out recently, and it was the most boring thing. Like you, they tried too hard, and it was boring. Um, but if you look at something like Cabin in the Woods, which we, we mentioned on our podcast this week uh, by um, Drew Goddard, who is recently um, hired to do X Force. Uh, so, Brian, you might want to check out Cabin in the Woods before checking out X Force. I've I've seen Cabin in the Woods. I have seen Cabin okay. in the Woods. That's one of the like five percent horror movies that I've seen. Right, um, but it takes something like that, or or Get Out, um, or like mm. The Ring when it came out back in like two thousand and three. But it takes something kind of like extraordinary for me to really enjoy a horror movie and i think it is just was done so well i just watched it the other day and it's so different but like like you know sinister and and the conjuring and insidious and and all of these things that whose names just meld and mix and i i can't figure out what it is anymore because it's all it's all the same thing uh and and that is the the criticism behind horror films right like uh, horror Mm -hmm. films and like comedies of, of, of a certain kind the criticism is like oh you're all the same thing uh an action movie you know most movies in general um but i i I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy good unique creative horror films i can watch an action movie no matter what you know if if it's like i can watch 500 versions of john wick and i'm gonna enjoy myself (laughs) um but you'd have to make something like get out with the social commentary or it Mm -hmm. which is stranger things plus the you know a scary scary clown um, or or it, it follows was very good, and Cabin in the Woods, which is a, is a satire. So, like, I love unique and creative horror movies. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I I'm kind of I've said before on the show I'm I'm in this weird spot where I don't I don't enjoy the vast majority of horror movies because I just I can't get past how uh, cheesy they are or or how extremely similar to every other horror movie right. you know they they tend to be or the exact opposite like the really good horror movies or are usually the ones where i'm just like well i'm gonna cry now for the rest of my <laughs> life and then i just can't you know i can't get past that and so i can't hand you know like the slasher movie doesn't like affect me but i don't i don't like the genre and so i don't i don't really want to sit through it when i'm just like man this wasn't a very good movie right and then then if you get into things like you know like <laughs> uh witchcraft and devilry and stuff like that i can't i ghosts and things i i'm i'm just i'm i'm a very sensitive soul apparently and i just i can't handle it a couple of years ago i've i'm sure i've told the story on the show before but we've we get new listeners at least one new listener every day so say the metrics but um the a couple of years ago we went to comic-con here in dallas and they like gave us this huge this great press pass and and gave us a tour and took us around like we were actual celebrities and stuff it was kind of cool and one of the things they featured you mentioned insidious and sinister i can't remember which one it was i think it was an insidious sequel but it might have been a sinister sequel because they are the exact same <laughs> right. thing to me uh, you know uh, that's it's, yeah that's why yeah but they had a like a trailer a, like some sort of vr experience set up for uh insidious three or something and uh and you you know you went into this trailer and sat down and put the headset on and then all these creepy terrible things happened and kent was all for it and so he he went ahead of me and went in and i literally i sat down in the chair and they put the headset on and i closed my eyes for about four minutes until it was over and just like tried to block out the creepy noises because i knew (laughs) if i open my eyes i will never unsee what is happening in front of me right now and so I just walked out and Kent was Kent <laughs> Kent was like 
had this look on his face like this is going to be so great seeing how freaked out he is and he's like what'd you think and i literally just like well i kept my eyes closed the entire time he was i've never seen somebody who was more disappointed than than kent was uh kent was in that moment but uh, so anyway, I, I hope I, I hear you liked it. Everybody seems to like it. I really want to see the movie at some point. I just, gosh, I just don't, I can't do it. Can't handle it. Uh, can't handle it in, in theaters as it is. So hopefully, hopefully it'll come out on like DVD or something late December to where I can check that out uh, before make end of year lists and, and all that good stuff. And maybe potentially um, still be able to to sleep. So that's that's the goal anyway. Um. All right, dude. That's that was fun. I want to give us all the time we can for uh, for Princess Bride. So let's take a little break here, pay some bills, and we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, man, fam. It's Brian here to talk to you today about our newest sponsor, Mack Weldon, a premium men's essentials brand. When we got these guys as their sponsor, I went to the website, I browsed through their categories, I picked out what I wanted and ordered it, and in a couple of days, it was on my body. And these are the most comfortable boxers I've ever worn in my life. The socks are dope, and the shirts look great. They don't have any thongs yet, but I know that Richard has put in a request, so maybe that's just coming down the pipe soon. And if for some reason you don't like your first pair, Mack Weldon will refund your money and let you keep your order, no questions asked. I don't think that's going to be a problem, though, for you, because these products look and feel great, and they're awesome for pretty much any occasion. Whether you're going to the gym, you're at work, you're on a date, you're at home watching Now You See Me, whatever else you weirdos do, it's awesome. So go to MacWeldon.com and use our promo code MAD to get 20% off your order. That's MacWeldon.com promo code MAD. All right, we're back. Uh, we're going to talk again about The Princess Bride, 1987. So we're at what? How many years is that? That's 30 years. 30 years for The yeah. Princess Bride. That seems crazy. Um, Ariel, I know you're a big fan. So I want to I let you start us off. Give us. Uh, Kind of your your connection to the movie, and uh, and and your your general thoughts. I guess I, I, I'll say up front, we're we're going all in. Not I'm not going to do spoiler. Uh, spoiler. It's a thirty year old movie. Oh, yeah, it's a 30, 30 year old <laughs> movie. Pretty much everyone's seen this movie. Uh, we're not doing spoiler alerts, so anything's anything's fair game. But but I want to get your I want to know why you're uh, you know you have this attachment to the movie and and what your general thoughts are, and then we'll we'll go more in depth from there. Uh, well, growing up, my dad is a huge fan of the like old school adventure, old school fantasy movies. Like Willow is like one of his favorite movies, and mm-hmm. I'll admit, Widow Willow's you know it's good for its time. Oh, I don't know, but like it's 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 you know one of those cult classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I finally got introduced to the Princess Bride, it's just like it, it was so funny, and it was like there's all this adventure, and and the way like the grandpa describes the book in the beginning is is exactly how I felt like. Oh, of course. There's there's fencing and fighting, and you know, and princesses and blah blah blah. Um, and it's just one of these movies that has kind of you know developed as a genre of its own that nobody has been able to replicate, and nobody has really even tried. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have you have a movie like Stardust, which came out in like oh seven, ten years ago, and it's like yeah, it's kind of like The Princess Bride. Except that I think the Princess Bride is well, yeah, like it's not good, (laughs) yeah. But like the Princess Bride is so good, and it incorporated all of these great fantasy elements. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not an epic, you know. It's like like your traditional fantasy elements that I think it's kind of shied people away from doing it. Right? It's like if if Saving Private Ryan came out and nobody else wants to make a World War II movie, that's kind of what I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, This is in my top ten all time favorite movies. So like, like for me, it's like. 
Pacific Rim, Logan, Saving Private Ryan, Captain America, and like you know stuff like that, like Star Wars. Like this is this is up mm-hmm. there with me, The Princess Bride. Um, like I love Carrie Ells in the role. Like I love uh, Andy Patinkin, even though his name bothers me for some reason. Like. <laughs> Like Andre the Giant is, is amazing. Like I want to buy all of these all of this like Obey merchandise, and I'm just like, I don't I don't like all this hype stuff. But man, I love Andre the Giant. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's I, it's really hard to explain because it it connects to my childhood in such a way. But you rewatch it, and the writing is just so great, and the comedy, like it, it has staying power, right? It has it, it's it's mm-hmm. aged very well, you know, over thirty years. Uh, I like I, it's it's hard for me to put into words how much this movie that connects with you know yeah yeah i'm with you it's a this is one of the rare movies that uh for me because i have this weird brain that categorizes everything and like archives every moment of my pop culture life like i really i generally remember uh especially a movie that i've seen multiple times i remember the first time that i saw it and you know who i saw it with and why i saw it and and so on down the list. And this one exists in this weird place. It's partly because it came out when I was four. And so it's been around for my whole 14? life. But <laughs> you shut it. No. Uh, <laughs> so, that, I mean, that's part of it. But um, this, is, this is a movie that even Star Wars, I remember from uh, age three, maybe even younger. Uh, I can remember, you know, watching Star Wars and... Uh, playing with action, Star Wars action figures and acting out the scenes from Star Wars with like special effect noises and stuff like that. Um, Princess Bride is just this weird sort of. It's just all. It feels like it's always been there. It's just like it's always been a part of my life for some reason or another. And I, and so it, it it occupies an odd space. My uncle growing up um had my uncle randy had a a huge collection of of vhs tapes you know t- recorded off of tv which right. is such a weird my mom did too yeah it like everybody everybody in my era that's what we had pre-dvd and really for a lot of people pre-cable you know you had it's a just a weird thing that no like my son will never understand why in the world we had yeah. all these VHS tapes and like well what do you mean you had to fast forward through 3 hours to get to what you're trying to watch and stuff like that. I mean it's 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 an you know it's a very singular for the time period sort of thing but my my uncle had um hundreds of of tapes and uh would you know we'd get together for for family weekends or whatever like holidays and stuff like that and my grandparents and he he'd have all these tapes in uh plastic tubs and you, you're just going and then he had them <laughs> he had them like index carded so you could find whatever you're looking for and stuff which was part of probably part of why i'm uh such a spreadsheet nerd is to have you know that kind of stuff but uh but i just from probably age five or six i would imagine i just i remember watching this movie pretty much every time we were all together as a family. It just was became like the, the family movie. And then it slowly became like, I'll watch this movie by myself, uh, instead of Robin hood, the cartoon Disney movie or star Wars or something like that. Like, um, yeah, let's, let's pop in princess bride here at, you know, age eight or something. And what's interesting to me about, there's a lot of great stuff about the movie, but just as far as the, uh, the, the film aspect and the the presence as far as like what kind of impact it's had pop culturally 
is that it's it's actually it's a cult film and that surprises yeah. me um it it is an inter- it was the introduction for me on I didn't know it at the time but it was the introduction for me to the concept of a cult film because it didn't make any money when it came right. out uh 30 million total 4.5 opening weekend nobody really cared about it at the time uh you know kind of came and went and then you know it gets to I'm assuming to like HBO or something, whatever, wherever it ended up. Um, and it becomes this huge cult phenomenon to where I, I mean, it's certainly not on the level of like a star Wars, but I feel like it's in the next level as far as you almost never run into a person who is over the age of 20, who hasn't seen the princess bride at some point in their life or doesn't at the very least have like, an actual familiarity with the material and what it is. And that's fascinating given, you know, it's very small beginnings. Yeah. It, it, it's really is like one of the, the definitions of, of cult classic. I mean, it's, it's got a big name director behind it and Rob Reiner. It's got very recognizable faces in, uh, at the time, Carrie Ells and, um, of course, under the giant, mm-hmm. but like it, it is just. It, I think the perfect word for this this movie is charming. It, it's so charming mm-hmm. that when like, but it, it is not like bombastic in any way. It's not blockbustery in any way. So that when people finally like you know you go on HBO and you look up your TV guide back in the day and it says oh it's, it's Rob Reiner it's, it's Carrie oh, Andre the Giant let me check this out and when they happen to stumble upon it like the love affair begins like that was me at like I don't know mm-hmm. six seven eight years old. Like watching this, like wow, I I love this movie. It's it's hilarious and it has such fun characters and such like it's such quotability. Mm-hmm. Like I quote this movie more than I quote me like pro- probably any other movie. Like sure. it doesn't it doesn't have the most famous quotes in the world. It's not like the, you know may the force be with you, right? But but if someone says like hello, my name is like yeah, the proper right. response is Inega Montoya, you killed <laughs> my father, prepared to die. It you know it and it's just that if the movie reaches you. Like, if it comes within your sphere of influence, you know, you tend to fall in love with it if you're a well-adjusted human being anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife does not care for this movie. And it's How always weird she? to me. I know. it's We've been in counseling about it for eight years. But it's, it's always weird to me um, that this is, like, a, a line in the sand for her. She's just like, eh, it's fine. Oh, okay. so, I think part of it for her is the over the overwatch. Because there is a... For us, at least, I think she's kind of in the same sphere as I was at that age, where it just feels like it was on TV or somebody was putting in the VHS like three times a week, you know? And you just, it's like right. a pop song that gets super popular one summer and then you never want to hear it again. I think that's her experience. Whereas I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm good. I hadn't rewatched it, I hadn't seen the movie in several years um, because she doesn't care for it and I just <sighs> had never had it. I never had thought to to have a reason for it, but I will say, having rewatched it now, like I'm I'm super stoked to to show it to Coop because I think he'll you know maybe not quite yet, maybe another year or so, but I think he'll really get into it. And be part of that, I think, why this has become a, a big part of why it's become the cult film and and the the lasting, enduring classic that it has for for our generation. And we're close to the same generation. You're probably I don't know. There's probably a dividing line somewhere in there, but but for yours as well as mine, one way or the other. I think the 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 genius, the stroke of genius, is phrasing it 
sort of through the eyes of of Fred Savage's character of the kid. Yes, absolutely. And, and just and because I think for for us, I mean, we both came to this basically at the same play, same time in life. It you get to when you when you watch this movie through his eyes and the way that the you know that it's set up. Um, it I don't know. It's like it gives you as an eight year old or something. It gave you clearance to uh like overlook the romance side of things while at the same time you're kind of sheepishly sheepishly enjoying it you know um i think that's a really cool concept i've never read this book i have no idea if that's how it's uh how it's set up in uh in 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 bill goldman's book but um but for whatever reason like i think that works perfectly uh in film and is part of why you know it's very family friendly for the for and that helps too that helps to gather uh, a cult audience for this kind of movie, but it also, I think is part of what, like why our generations are, are so caught up in what, you know, why it's such a good film and why it's, why we want to, to, to continue to, to rewatch it. Um, and then you add that to like, it also has really cool sword fights and, um, pithy dialogue and, um, the characters are, are memorable and that, that stuff, I don't know, that stuff goes a long way to, uh, creating, these spots in your brain that you know are, are that when you when the movie comes on you you kind of light up and you're excited about seeing it again for you know the hundredth time. Right. Uh, so in regards to the book, I I read the book uh, a few years ago for the first time, and I reread it every other year since I think, uh, okay. which is my cycle. Um, I, I tend to read things every other year. Uh, the Princess Bride. Um, the writer Bill Gold Goldstein Goldman. Goldman. Yeah. Um, I, Goldman. He, he like, he wrote it, it was like, he, sorry, the intro of the book says, oh, this is an abridged version of the history of this country by S. Morgenstern. Okay. And then there, it goes into a whole spiel about how, like, S. Morgenstern cut out all the boring parts and left this, this great part of the history and made a book out of it. And like, and it just like comically goes into how people are mad about that. Like in reality, there is no S. Morgenstern. Right. He's just he's just setting up in this book. So I think they want to do something clever. But for the movie, I I think you're right. I think it's so brilliant to have Fred Savage there because mm-hmm. you know you you have this high fantasy movie and and all the jokes I didn't get until I was fifteen, sixteen, right? When I rediscovered it one fateful day. Um, but it it allowed you to look at it from like i said from you know from the eyes it told you it was okay to look at it like an eight-year-old that that sometimes you know a spade is a spade oh it's just a guy rescuing a girl and, and there's a fights and he does all these things and and this is like you know this is like a hobbit-esque story he like you know the good guy wins in the end and he gets the girl and they ride off into the sunset almost literally mm-hmm. um but then as you you have that great nostalgia right that feel-good fairy tale which it it it, it truly is at its core and it markets itself to be you realize the the immense layers of comedy and and writing um and themes behind it that i think allow the film to resonate and inspire you to share it with the next generation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um at at the age that you had discovered it right kind of like star wars you you never want to show cooper star wars when he's 15 right right you gotta show it to him when he's like five uh, right, and I think exactly. the Princess Bride is. I or think that, one and a half. Yeah, right. right yes, because um, <laughs> you, you're having it playing while while your wife's in labor, right? Like <laughs> exactly. Like that's yeah. that's how to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think whether intentionally or inadvertently, it, it's such a brilliant way 
that uh, Rob Reiner, you know, and and Bill Bill Goldman, who I think wrote the screenplay because he's actually a screen screenwriter. Right. Uh, it's Very such a good screenwriter way. too. By yeah. The way. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's such an interesting way for them to say like, this is how you're supposed to watch this movie with a child's innocence um, in sense of, of the plot, which is you know not overly complicated by any means, but mm-hmm. um, to, to have your adult sense of humor and wits about you. Yeah, totally. No, I think that's. I was going to say the the two parts. I think for why it works so well is is the Fred Savage bit to, to begin with, but also it's a very it's a very simple. If you watch this, if you look at this at like the um the treatment, like the on paper, the one page for what this movie is, it's a very traditional yeah. fairy tale. Um, so traditional that that I wonder if that may be part of why it wasn't super successful to begin with. I mean, I wasn't, I don't know. I don't know what it was right. like 30 years ago at the box office, but I, but I wonder if people said, especially during that, that was a strange time to be, to release a, a fairy tale kind of movie. Um, I wonder if people say like, it's, it, this looks like something straight out of, you know, like a, a children's book. I don't really care. Like it's not, it's not going to, uh, gather my interest. But yeah, if you look at it on the one page, you say, this is like the most traditional fairy tale of all time. But then it's just filled in, you know, so beautifully with these with these characters and uh, the jokes. And I think I think Rob Reiner dessert. I like. I'm a big Rob Reiner fan. Um, you know, the last ten years have been not so great. Um, right. You know, we we all have our ups and downs, and and I he may just be he may have had a few good ideas, and he just out. I don't know. Regardless, whatever it is, he he's not done much lately and i think that's kind of a shame because it's it's taken him out of uh out of the 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 spotlight so to speak because at one time you look at his run uh where you you go this is spinal tap stand by me the princess bride when harry met sally misery a few good men that's and then followed it up not long after with the american president that's a really incredible run um and it's been i don't know that's that's 20 plus years since of not really having just a whole lot of whole lot of relevance, but I think he deserves an incredible amount of uh, of credit for casting the way that they did. Um, I'm always interested when I go back and we do my research for for throwback movies. I love looking at the cast and who they you know who was uh, who auditioned, who they wanted for the role, and yada yada. I always take special note of that stuff um, because it's always interesting to see. Typically, when we're doing a throwback movie, it's usually a, a movie that we we all really like, and so we all feel like, oh, well, that's the right person for for the role. But um, it, so maybe it's just that's kind of the nature of the beast. But I'm always interested that like, oh, that Liam Neeson auditioned to be Fezzik, and how weird and different that oh, would have gone, and that Uma Thurman and Courtney Cox and Meg Ryan were all up for Buttercup before. He eventually yeah, decided, you know, he wanted to go with somebody that no one had really seen before and things like that. I just, I, I, I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for getting, um, for pulling the right strings as far as like, I, you know, Carrie was pretty well known at the time. Manny Patinkin is, has, seems like Manny Patinkin has been, uh, the exact same level of fame for 60 <laughs> years you know? yeah. and which is great. That's something I love is <laughs> great about Manny Patinkin, but uh, Chris Sarandon and Chris Guest and and Walsh Sean and and Andre the Giant and then just and then having Peter Falk kind of sitting there as like this I don't know this like calming presence um, both narratively and for the film as a like as it's presented to us I think um, I there's not 
looking back at like who could have been cast here and stuff, there's not a single person from the main ten or so actors in the movie that you think, yeah, that might have been better if this guy was in place of that guy or something like that. And and I think that that's again part of what makes the the, the movie. Uh, last as well as it has is just like these characters are great but you also man they're being brought to life so well and when you add that into like it's the it's basically it's coloring with with uh with colored ink instead of black and white in this very black and white outline right does that make sense yeah yeah um, so it's, I, go ahead no so i just think that's part of what has really fleshed out the, the fleshing out of that storyline makes it um so enjoyable and so insanely rewatchable this has to be top three maybe five at the worst of movies that i've that i've rewatched the most in my life i guess oh yeah this is this is maybe i think number number two or three uh Mm -hmm. weirdly enough my my jackie chan obsession has like totally dominated my rewatchability (laughs) so like shanghai noon is like my most watched movie ever um oh goodness uh, Goodness. And I'm not, I'm not, not like, I, like Owen Wilson's whatever, but like, I love, dude, I love Jackie Chan. You'll never understand. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's like Dirk times infinity, right? Because like, there's only one Asian superstar in the world. <laughs> it's Jackie. Um, but like, you, you made such an interesting point about the casting. Cause like, even in the eighties, like th- this film is, is just, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a single misstep in the cast. I mean, you, I'm trying to think of like modern day films that are, that are like well cast, like maybe like, and I, I can't like, I mean, like look at, look at like ba- the Batman movies, right? Like somebody could have done better than Christian Bale. Like, let's be real. Um, sure. You know, like Gary Oldman's perfect. Uh, Heath Hedges perfect. Michael, like somebody could have been better than Michael Caine. Somebody been better than Christian Bale. Um, I mean, you look at the Marvel films, there, there's been a couple of missteps for casting. Uh, don't get me started on the Netflix Marvel stuff, but, uh, <laughs> But like, but like this, like, like, but you you look at like Peter Jackson's films, Edgar Wright's films, um, like films that are just so cared for by the directors, uh, mm-hmm. Are, mm-hmm. are are just executed flawlessly. And then you yeah. look at something like, I don't know, you look at something like The Hobbit that Peter Jackson tried to do that they they really just forced him with millions and millions of dollars, and and nobody cares about that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but like. Like Andre the Giant, like they they wanted what Arnold for Andre the Giant, and right, yeah, that, Kareem Abdul Jabbar at one point was in disguise. I mean, it's just kind of all over the place, and and landed on Andre, and uh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, like and and you have like like Princess Buttercup played by Robin Wright, and and while she wasn't like I don't recall anything earlier that she was in, like for her to, to end up being Jenny and Force Gump, but I know you hate that movie. Um, but there's like a, there's a great like parallel not parallel but like a like mirror between those two roles I, I think mm. in a sense, um, and then now with this resurgence with Cast of Cards and, and Wonder Woman like I right. want to see her in everything. Um, uh, Mandy Patinkin recently lost his father uh, in like had recently lost his father when he was cast when they right. were casting for this film, and so the emotion he gets when he's like he's like I want my father back you know you son of a like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's so real you know like it's it's so good and and somebody who who hadn't gone through that experience might not have delivered that role with such right. emotion and and it's like like wait wasn't i just laughing like when he's like stop saying that like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's a great moment and it's just it's kind of like this is lightning in a bottle i think this film 
Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. I think it, it, this is a, I think if you make, you talked about Batman. Um, I think there are movies that if you give, <laughs> if you give a, a B director, a B cast and a B story and in a certain amount of money, uh, they will still they will turn out a B movie nine out of ten times or B or better. I think Batman's like that. That's why uh, Batman v Superman infuriates me so much because that's that's my biggest deal. Is like it should be impossible to make so a truly up, yeah. bad Batman movie. Um, and there are other examples of like I think you can replace this director or this actor with these per- somebody who's lesser known or uh, less you know <laughs> not paid as much or whatever it may be, and they're still gonna get a good movie. I think this is a movie that. If you if you tinker with it, if you replace with this director, if you replace um, you know Walshawn with who Danny DeVito or uh, oh, which, oh. which originally was something that was potentially gonna. I, I my, my point is, I think if you there's like if you, this movie gets made in ten different universes, there are eight of them that it is either bad or at the very least is just completely non irrelevant from the very beginning and no one ever cares about. I think that is, to me, that's what you mean with the, with the lightning in a bottle thing. Like you've got the perfect cast, you've got the right director. Um, you've got an, a really well-written story by a great screenwriter. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and somebody who it's a passion project for him. He wrote this story for his daughters. Um, and then it, it comes across as a passion project for Rob um, and then you add in the cast and there's, it's just, it's, it's perfect. And it's done. I, I, I just think it gets done wrong. Uh, most of nine, eight times out of 10, at least. Uh, and instead you, you, you have, you have what it, you have what it is, you know, it'd just be so easy to, to mess up, um, one of the, by just like, well, we're going to, we're going to pour more money into this role than we originally had. Well, now we have Arnold Schwarzenegger and well, that's right. not the same. Like that just, you lose some of the the gentleness that Andre the Giant brings to the role or, you know, so on down the list. I, I, it's, it's, it's kind of, I think you're right. I think lightning in a bottle is the, is the perfect way to put it. I think this is a weird, this is going to be a weird analogy. And I do not think you might Let's just do it. I, Kent and I Richard aren't here. Let's get weird. Let's see what happens. I, I don't think that you would agree with what I'm like about the, just the next part. I'm about to say, it's but fine. Like, if, if, if the audio goes blank for a second here, you guys will know what happened. So, this movie I'm about to say is not a masterpiece that I think The Princess Bride is, but it is a very good film, and that's Fast Five. Okay, and I, I like where you're going. Let's right. go. Yeah, this is it's a it's a very different circumstance because it's a sequel, but Fast Five is a great heist movie. Mm-hmm. Right, it, it has all these moving parts and all of these like all this really good cast and a brilliant director and a fun script and a star wrestler mm-hmm. and and that movie is incredible and it sh- has no right to be that good. Yeah, but then, but then, and then you look at what's happening with six, and it's it's over the top, and it's a little bit too much. And you look at seven, and you look at eight, and and the, the more players they add, and the the change in directors, and the change in the cast, and and you weren't able to capture that lightning in the bottle that Justin Lin was able to get in that one movie. I think the difference between like four and five, and and then five to six, is like like is like a ninety two and eighty. Like I think it's like a full full grade. Um, and I think those Fast and Furious movies are fun, but you look at Fast Five and how he's able to work with the cast, um, you know, that, that big cast and, and add this star player and, and you know, have this fun script and great action. And, and the way he, 
he works at like it's 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 they never reach that height again and it's different because it's a it's a sequel which spawned more sequels but like you know i, I can't think of too many like mm-hmm. like even like george lucas like he had the idea for star wars um there were some problems here and there with casting like mark hamill's not a great leading man like there's there's, there's nothing that really compares i think the closest thing is like scott pilgrim which sure. I think I think that all the casting's great and it's a fun movie and it's a cult classic and it's a great director and a great script and an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yeah. Like the, the you know, lightning the bottle. Yeah, I think you're I think you're the only thing I would argue there is that you said Fast Five was not a masterpiece and that's clearly <laughs> exactly. wrong. Uh that changed the world. Um Yeah, I'll I'll make another we we just got done Kent and Richard and I did we just got done with the with the binge session recording uh four or five episodes throwbacks for the next few weeks and we talked one of them uh, that'll be available on the on the patreon page was uh was la confidential and that movie there's a similar experience there where um and i talk about this in the that review but just maybe as a a teaser or primer that that movie had a very small budget very similar to to this one and part of that was the result of the director curtis hansen saying we this is a three lead movie we need three leads and I'm not going to cut it down. And the studio wanted him to cut it. Just cut out two of those leads. We'll pay one guy, whatever, $10 million. And he refused to do it. And so instead he had, whatever the money was, he had to split uh, amongst three guys. And so instead of getting uh, whoever the, you know, the big names were in 1997, uh, they end up with, uh, they end up with Guy Pierce and Russell Crowe and uh, Kevin Spacey, all of whom were Maybe not unknowns, but but relative unknowns at the time. I've never heard those names. Who are they? <laughs> Kevin Spase, I believe. Spase. Oh, oh, okay. uh, so you end up with those three guys, and because of that, um, it's it's a movie that, that uh, the dynamic between those characters works so much better than uh, than it would have been if it you know if you if you just have a, you know a Mel Gibson was was supposedly like the guy they wanted to play uh who ended up being Russell Crowe. If if you have Mel Gibson in that movie, that becomes a Mel, a Mel Gibson movie. It's no right, longer exactly. um this sort of thing. And I I think LA Confidential is similar on that as far as the lightning in a bottle thing cuz you have the right people at the right time uh who are just like bursting at the seams to to become who they later will become as partly because of that because of that movie. I mean, I, you know, this movie I think I think it pretty well made the career for several of these people, not just because their characters are so, um, you know, well-known and, and beloved. Uh, Manny Patinkin talks about how he's, he feels like, I, I think he said literally every day somebody comes up to him and, and does the Inigo Montoya bit and that he, <laughs> that he loves that. And, and so I think the mo- this movie put so many of these people, it may not, they, some of these guys were certainly around, but this put them on the map, I think, um, in, a, in a more mainstream way very similar to me of of uh of LA confidential um so we've talked about we've talked about a lot of stuff is there is there anything else you want to bring up before we move into the last stretch here and and grades and all that good stuff um i think the i think the the, the sword fight scene in the beginning uh, mm. or in the first third you know in the first act i think it's like i, I love action scenes i love fight scenes and and that sword you know well that's not the most realistic Mm-hmm. you know fight in the world whatever who cares um fencing like french fencing is the most complicated sword fighting uh style in the like in history 
Mm-hmm. And and they like apparently they trained for like hours and hours and hours and hours to do that fight. And and when they got to the set, um, they had found out that the terrain had made their original choreography like unworkable. Mm-hmm. So but they had to practice so much that when they whatever they did and they put on screen, right, they just it ended up looking amazing. That fight is so good. And and you know, they joke about like footwork. But like next time you're watching it, watch the footwork. It's the most important part mm-hmm. because if you don't know your surroundings, you can't move. Like it's it's amazing that you know it's it's the wide shot the whole time. Like you'll never yeah. see that today. Yeah. Watch the Star Wars fights. Like you'll never see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it, it just like like it's something I realized like on my fiftieth watch through mm-hmm. uh, and I researched. But it's just that scene alone is amazing and it showed like the weird commitment that they had to this film. Um, yeah, you know? yeah, totally. Uh, Bill Goodman, when he, when he, Goldman, excuse me, when he talked to Rob Reiner about doing this, he said, these are the, <laughs> that that fight scene is the second greatest sword fight in the modern era of film. And, uh, and Rob Reiner asked, okay, well, what's the, what's the first then? And he says, well, it's, it's the fight that comes at the end of the film between Inigo Montoya and, and, uh, the six fingered man. Six-fingered so, man. Uh, <laughs> which is, is very interesting. But yes, I, I love that sequence. Um, that's one that, I think grabs you as a, you know, a six year old or an eight year old or whatever when you're watching it for the first time and you don't really realize, to your point, uh, how incredibly well choreographed that is and, um, how you don't really think about that that's, that's them the whole time. That's Manny Patagon yeah. and, and Carrie Ellis the whole, the whole time. Um, the only stunts in that film or in that scene, excuse me, are, uh, when they do like flips and stuff. Yeah. Um, like, and, and, and when did, when does, Return of the Jedi come out, 83? 83, yeah. And it's a four-year difference. Uh, the guy playing Darth Vader is in a suit. Mm. Mark Hamill is a young man, younger than both of these actors, I would assume, at the point. And and that Return of the Jedi fight is not good, right? Mm. Like, sure. the Empire one has moments, uh, and it's the energy and the, the emotion that you remember behind it. Right. But then you look at that, and you look at this. And I even remembered, like, watching this, and then watching Star Wars, and be like, wow, this fight's lame. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you, as a kid, when I'm going at, at this point, when I go and sword fight with, you know, with like, I had these Nerf swords point, <laughs> Classic. Um, that were like, fin- they had little fencing panels on them that you, you, the idea was like to knock out the other person's panel on like the, the handguard, which is super cool detail. But uh, like my brother and I would go and, and, and fight with these in the hallway and we very quickly went from uh, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader to Inigo Matoya and and uh, and Wesley or whatever or the six six finger man and stuff because um, it is it's an, it's an incredible it's an incredible fight scene and uh, it's a different it's certainly a different kind of beast than what you're gonna get in most modern action movies whether it's you know sword swords and shields or um, like Jason Bourne's rolled up magazine or whatever it's like it's a different sort right. of feel it's very uh, traditional <laughs> yeah it's very traditional in that sense but that's part of i think it's charm and and adds to the overall char- overall charm of of uh, of the entire movie yeah man you 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 have um i watched this movie this time around and again i hadn't seen it probably i would guess three four years something like that um but i watched it almost in the background like i i really wasn't even paying that much attention, which I usually I'm even for movies that I've seen a lot of times I, for this podcast, if we're doing a throwback, I, I really try to lock in and pay attention as best I can because I want to bring as best of a 
a critique as I can to this stupid podcast, but um, <laughs> but this one I've seen it so many times that almost every single scene in the movie, uh, I could you know I could quote it from start to finish, and I there's no there's almost no detail left for me to to pull out of it that I haven't seen you know a dozen times before i watched it this time around with the commentary on which is not something i I don't really like commentaries i prefer to just be in the movie that i'm that i'm watching but rob reiner's but i've seen this movie so many daggum times it was like well i I, maybe i can draw something from from rob reiner but yeah it's like i feel like i could i feel like i could sit down and map out this entire movie in great detail from start to finish and i i I'm not sure I would miss 10 lines, let alone, right. you know, a, a scene or anything. And so, um, but I, it's, it's one that you take that, that sword fight, you take, um, the conversation on the boat, you take the, the battle of wits, uh, the ROUS is the pit yeah. of despair, you know, on down the list. And it's like, yeah, of course I remember that. Of course, you know, who hasn't the marriage. been, to, yeah, who hasn't been to a wedding where they do the freaking marriage bit, which is just. We got to stop that, but uh, yeah, and it, on into um, I, I've always thought that that Wesley's bit at the end of, of "To the Pain" was really well scripted. It's 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 borderline cheesy, but it's perfect for that setting, and it works really well within the context. And then to have uh, to have Chris Sheridan's character uh, Prince Humperdinck finish with I knew he was buffing. I, I knew he was buffing. This is great. So it's, it's it's great. So good. Um, so it, it works. It works perfectly. We haven't talked about, and I, I'm mostly done, but you, you may have another two hours to go on this, but um, I think Billy Crystal, that may be the sequence that, that's not true. The sequence that I appreciate the most will will forever be, uh, my name is Inigo Montoya, you kill my father, repair oh, to die. I, but, in but, film, right? Yeah. Like in film. Yeah. <laughs> well, pretty much the GPS scene and now you see me as number one, but everything else, is, yeah, that's fine. It's fine to be second place to that. Um, I, I think as I grow older, the more I watch the movie, the sequence that jumps out to me as, um, just from the sheer, at least from the comedic side of things, but the brilliance of the performance is Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, uh, with Miracle Max. I, that sequence, that's the one that after having seen this a hundred times, that's probably the one that I look forward to the most, uh, in the movie. When that scene is coming up, I'm, I, I sat down and I get, and I kind of get locked in again from whatever else I was doing while watching the movie, you know, and it's, it's, and that's all, that is all Billy Crystal just, uh, kind of at his peak, really just doing a Billy Crystal bit that, that works beautifully within the film, I think. Yeah. The, I, I laugh so hard every time he talks about the mutton lettuce tomato mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, yes. uh, like my my fantasy football team, and like if I have to name a team, I name it the Brute Squad. Like <laughs> you are like the a, Brute Squad. You are the Brute Squad. Yeah, so it's so good. Like and and like uh, he's like so good at improvising. Like him, him and like Robin Williams are just kind of unparalleled. Yeah, uh, actors for their time at, at at that you know at that role. So it's he's just he's so hilarious. And when I was a kid, like I didn't know that was him. Right, like mm-hmm, right. Like I put this on and watched City Slickers two days later, and not know the same guy. <laughs> Right. Right. Well, that's good. Um, I'm about tapped out. If you've got anything else you want to bring up, we can do that or we can move on to move on to grades here. Uh, I, I don't I mean. I just, you know, I, I love so much about this movie, like the 
Ine Montoya, Andre the Giant, and um, uh, what's his name? Vicini, what's, what's the actor's name? Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. Like, I think that, you know, you get, those three actors are so perfect for their roles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, like, they, if you get three act like, and they're not even the lead, right? right. They're, not, they're not technically, if, if you had three actors who are not as good as them, this movie is just not as good. I think they, in a sense, they carry the film, right? 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so I, that's good. secretly like a real key. If you're making a movie, especially one that's not the biggest budget, um, you can go a long way towards helping your film succeed or helping your film um, earn its its kind of stripes and its and its the respect of its audience by getting your your supporting cast right. Like if we see that over and over and over again, um, where I feel like there's a lot of times where I watch a movie and I think you know the lead wasn't very good in that, but if he just would have had some help, that maybe would have that would have taken some of the pressure off how I felt about him or her um yeah and, and this mean, is one that that really especially you know carriol is, is who he is and i he would establish himself pretty well but robin wright hadn't at all right, um yeah and i and i think you i don't know it just it goes a long way if you're able to surround in some ways i i think it makes a lot more sense if you have a certain amount of of money for you know your top six actors uh you might think about spending uh, a third of it at the top and, and distributing some of the rest instead of three fourths of it at the top and, and taking whatever you can get from, from there on. I think this is, this is a movie that makes that kind of makes an argument for that sort of, of, uh, of, of casting. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to go back to this a lot. Cause like the, the time, but look at star Wars, right? Like Mark Hamill, unknown Carrie Fisher, unknown, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they supported the cast with Harrison Ford. Right. Um, um, like legendary actor Alec Guinness and and Peter mm-hmm. Cushing, who I think gives the best performance in that film. Um, but like the, the main villain, like David Prowse in that suit in the Vader suit, is right. terrible. It's mm-hmm. terrible. Mark Hamill, not great. Carrie Fisher, not great. I mean, it's George Lucas, so you can't really blame them for not being good. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the little bits about that, like the you know, giving Alec Guinness screen time and then shifting it to to Peter Cushing, you know, opposite Vader. The, those little things I think really help the legitimacy of a movie like this. Sure. And the same thing with the princess bride. Yeah, totally agree. That's a, that's a great, uh, great way to, to put it a great ender. So, uh, let's, let's grade it. I don't think it's going to be a huge mystery, but, uh, for me, princess bride is an F minus my, no, is it, <laughs> is it, <laughs> God, no, is it, is an a plus and one that, um, you know, truly, I think truly stands the test of time. It helps that it's, it's a sort of a period piece. And so, it mm-hmm. adds to its timelessness, but uh, I I don't. I, this is a movie that in I, I expect in in thirty, hopefully thirty years, um, my son is showing this movie uh, to his kids and like and that it still uh, holds the same kind level of of appreciation and I, and I and I I have every faith that it will. So it's 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 an A plus for me. Yeah, this is this is an A plus. This is in my top five to ten favorite movies of all time. Um, the more like I rewatch it and talk about it, the more I think, I think I like it more than any individual star Wars movie. Um, you know, it doesn't have the, the big overall cultural impact, but you know, uh, moving on, um, this is just, I, I give a lot of credit. If you listen to my podcast, I, I give a lot of credit for doing exactly what you set out to do and making the perfect film that you set out to make. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. like, you know, I think this is, 
like this embodies that perfectly like logan like you know scott pilgrim baby driver right the directors mm-hmm. and the writers made the exact film they wanted to make and i think like you know you might not like the movie but you made the film you wanted to make sure yeah and a plus for me you know totally i totally agree well it's been good man uh ariel where can we find you on the uh where can we find you on the internet uh you can find me at dread pirate rada which is a callback to this wonderful wonderful film awesome and uh your podcast is called geek 101 right uh, uh we just talked um our our favorite episodes of batman the animated series which turned 25 oh, awesome. last week sweet love yeah. batman the animated series that's a huge that's a huge one for me cool well you can find me at bill bill you can find me at bgill 12 on the, the twitter you can find us on twitter at mad about movies you can find us on instagram mad about movies podcast find our website mad about movies podcast.com the mad about movies podcast newsletter hopefully will be out sometime this week uh subscribe to us on itunes stitcher ev- spotify every place in the world where you can get a podcast make sure you leave us a five-star review on the old itunes it helps grow the show quite a bit next week we're going to be back with i believe american assassin which i'm excited to talk about and uh, until next time we will see you at the cinema good luck storming the castle goodbye hey baby i hear the blues are calling toss salads and scrambled eggs and maybe i seem a bit confused yeah, maybe, but I've got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. So salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. 